Thank you so much. We are so thankful, so uh, proud to have our military veterans in our church and so uh, grateful for the service that they have uh, served our nation so um, honorably with. And I uh, can't say enough about you guys and, and ladies. Uh, so thankful. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn them to Acts chapter 4. And we are going to continue on in our study about the church. We are living in, I think, uh, essential days for the church. And as I've said along the way, I, it, it's in God's sovereign will, His eternal, perfect sovereign will, that you and I have been chosen to live in these days. Uh, sometimes we look at how uh, maybe bad the world is or how ugly things are or uh, things going certain ways or whatever the case may be, and we think, man, what's going on? And, and I know, as I said last week, I am, I am excited about the fact that God has never changed his call for the church. I'm so thankful that regardless of what happens in our world, regardless ev even of how I may feel or what I think or my circumstances or anything, as a child of God, as a member of his church, the call for me, the call for you, the call for us together has not changed since the time that we're in, in this, this, the, uh, the church time, uh, the church age that, that started in Acts. And so um, I, I'm, I'm excited about what God has for us uh, as we are, I believe, the anchor leg of the church. Um, last Sunday we looked at this amazing grace that God poured out using Peter and John, and we talked a little bit about Peter and, and who he was, just a common fisherman, a man that uh, God used to uh, do amazing things for in this uh, first church, even though he was the one that denied the Savior three times, ran away, and God using him in an amazing way. We saw uh, him reach down and, and pull up a man who had never walked before for 40 years. And this man walks and leaps and praises God in the temple with these, man, uh, with these men. And again, we saw Peter being the preacher he was. Uh, used the opportunity for the people gathered around in wonder and amazement about this man walking who had never walked before and point them to the author of that man's healing and salvation, and that was Jesus Christ, of course. He exhorted the crowd there to repent. He told them, hey, this is what you need to do in light of what you've done and of light of, in light of who he is. And the message that he gave was Christ and him crucified and that message infuriated specifically the Sadducees, but the rulers of the temple, uh, the religious leaders of the day, and uh, they were mad. So they took Peter and John, they threw them into the prison, kept them overnight. And what we saw, though, through the obedience of these men in, un, in, in uh, un, not ideal circumstances, to be faithful to be who God had called them to be, even though their, their, their surroundings weren't exactly what uh, maybe our surroundings are right now, God used their faithfulness and their boldness to proclaim the message, even though they were thrown in prison, and over 5,000 people were saved and added to the church. This is a miracle. And again, I, I think that Peter and John could have been like, uh-oh, we're, we're in trouble now. We're surrounded by people who don't like us, you know, and, and could have cowered down and said, let's go back to the safety of that upper room. But they boldly proclaimed the gospel, and God did a work that only God can do through their faithfulness. Again, the, the orchestration of the people and the places and, and, and the circumstances and all those things accomplished God's will that day. And people were born into the kingdom of God, added to the church, and the church was continuing to be this growing force in, in, in the early age of the church. 
Imagine who might be that, that one, or imagine who might be the ones similar to this man, that, that God would do the impossible in and through to see thousands of people saved or even millions of people saved. So we, we left off again with this, this, these 5,000 people being added to the church, Peter and John thrown into the prison, and now we're going to see what happens after uh, they are let out of prison. So let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you again for all that you do in our lives, and Lord, we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we're thankful that we're a part of your church. We're thankful for the gospel. You tell us it's the power that you have for salvation, and Lord, we know that our lives, those of us who have surrendered our lives to you, have, have been changed by the gospel, and I pray that we will never forget that. That, that we've been changed and the gospel is the key. And I pray that we'll have the boldness that we see in our text and in our study. Uh, these first believers and this first church, regardless of what's going on in our world, regardless of how we feel, we will, we will find that same boldness. And take up that same mantle and, and carry it forward until you return. Lord, I pray for those who have never accepted you, have never placed their faith in you and Lord, the gospel has not changed their life. I pray today if they're here or watching online that they'll understand how much love that you have for them and what you've done so that they could spend eternity with you uh, versus separated from you and experiencing your wrath for all of eternity. We're just blessed now and have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 4, we are going to pick up in verse 5. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. So everybody who was somebody in the religious realm was gathered there. A special Sanhedrin meeting was called, and I think they, they wanted to evaluate specifically what was going on because obviously it's no small thing when thousands and thousands of people's lives are being transformed by a single message. It wasn't something, and, and, and by this, this work of, of God, or something, they, they wouldn't acknowledge it necessarily was God, but this work that transformed this man's life. One man, one message has caused such a stir, they have to meet. Again, this uproar happening in the temple, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they put them in the, the, Peter and John put them in the middle of, of this, the Sanhedrin council, they asked them, by what power? Or by what name have you done this? Again, the, they couldn't deny the reality of this man's life being changed. And I just want to stop and say, that's not in our notes, but that's so true. There, there, there is there's something so powerful about the testimony of a life change. That's why for, for us as Christians, it's so important for us to live lives in obedience to the Lord because our life has been changed. We are supposed to set, be set apart. We're supposed to be uh, separate from the world. We're supposed to look and live differently than the world. We're supposed to have a different motivation, a different aim, a different goal, a different focus. We're to be salt, we're to be light. And so again, these, these religious leaders were, were, were baffled. They were having a hard time grasping what they were supposed to do or what they were going to do because there was no denying this man's life had been changed. And so they want to know, how did this happen? By what power or whose name have you done this? They were supposing possession, demonic possession, something. 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised up from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone, talking about Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Praise God. <laughs> what boldness. I mean, I, I, you, you see this over and over and over again in, in the church. We'll see this as we, we study this. But there's that zealousness, that focused zealousness from Peter that, that we talked about already that, that caused him to make some pretty big mistakes. Now he's using that passion and that zeal in a focused way in obedience and surrender to the kingdom call to share the gospel with every person regardless of the circumstance. Many people, I think many of us, would be intimidated by these rulers and these questions. Even Peter, we've seen that in his life before. As he was questioned around fires, he denied and then bailed. But now he's standing there before these rulers. Now he's, he's boldly proclaiming the magnificent grace and mercy and the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's the one that ran away, but he's repented, and now he's run back to Christ, and he's willing to even confront the murderers of Jesus themselves with a boldness that only comes from the Holy Spirit. He said, Jesus, who you killed, you crucified him. He's risen. He's the one that healed this man, and he's the one, the only one, that salvation is found in. And again, I, I'm so thankful for this. It's not found in Allah. It's not found in Buddha. It's not found in Confucius. It's not found in politics. It's not found in anything else. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. And here's maybe a little challenge for us. It's not even found in ourselves. You say, well, I'm not, I don't think I can save myself. But I wonder if sometimes we live like that. Like we are the center of our life and not Jesus. We know that there's no good deed, there's no good works, there's nothing that we can do. It's only by his grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But is that how we live our lives? I love the name Jesus. Again, there's, there's songs that we sing, even that, that old hymn, there's just something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's, there's something, the, the, the love that comes with saying the name of Jesus from a child of God is perfect. It's comforting. It's convicting powerful all in the same it's it's saving and jesus name is the solution this clear presentation of the gospel from just a few regular people amazed these learned men these were the religious leaders these were the guys that knew the rules these were the guys that taught the rules supposedly and and and, and were experts in the law and experts in the religious law and and their minds are blown they don't know what to do in verse 13 when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled 
How is this even possible? Because again, you have to understand the, the condescension that was flowing from these guys. You have to understand the judgment that was coming from a place of, of, of self-exaltation and pride was flowing hard against Peter and John because they were just basic fishermen. These were guys that were from Galilee. They were not somebody important. They weren't of some special pedigree in, in man's terms. And so they're coming at them like, how is this even possible? This has got to be some type of fluke. But they were able to connect the dots. They heard what Peter said. They saw this man's heal before him. They saw all the people's lives being changed around them. And look at what the next statement says. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. There's, there's key there. We, we, we find in what, what Peter was able to do, the boldness that was clear to these religious leaders, the life change that was clear to these religious leaders, again, it came from somewhere. It came from something particularly someone. And point number one is this. There is boldness to proclaim the gospel when we are filled with the Spirit. Again, they, they marveled. They, they couldn't understand. They, they, in their natural minds, they couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that these normal men were doing what they were doing. Peter, with this amazing boldness, proclaiming the gospel. And the Scripture told us a few, few verses back the reason or the, the way he was able to do this it was because he was filled with the Spirit of God. I want to make this distinction. There's a very clear difference between fleshly boldness and spirit-filled boldness. See, fleshly boldness exhibits the attributes of fleshly wisdom, carries with it the characteristics of it. And spirit-filled boldness, of course, carries with it the attributes of spiritual wisdom, a godly wisdom, and the characteristics that are from it. And James chapter 3 tells us about the difference. Who is wise, who's understanding among you by his good conduct. So the way that he lives in a way that's pleasing to God, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, if, if there's something in you that is, is causing you to envy and, and be jealous, or you're doing it out of selfish ambition, something about you in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. You're being contrary to who you're supposed to be. That type of wisdom does not come from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. So if you've been driven and consumed by bitter envy and jealousy and selfish ambition, and that's what's motivating your decisions and your talk and your relationships, if that's what it is, then you are operating in an earthly, fleshly wisdom. You say, how does that apply to what was going on with Peter? Peter wasn't thinking about Peter. <laughs> Peter was sharing the gospel regardless of what it cost him. He got in prison. Now he has his opportunity to go free and we're going to see how Peter responds to this. But it goes on to say in, in James chapter 3 that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. We can kind of look at what's going on in our world today and kind of see what wisdom is operating. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Not only that, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Ephesians chapter 5, do not get drunk with wine because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
What that means is those who are living the lifestyle participating in these things. That means there's definitely not a life change in them. But the fruit of the Spirit is, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no such, uh, there, such things. There is no law. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, talking about the prophecy, because he's anointed me to proclaim, the good, proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the side of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Again, Paul himself, the apostle, the great apostle being used by the Holy Spirit to not only start so many churches in the, new, in the first church era, um, but also to pen much of the New Testament, wrote this in Ephesians chapter 6, knowing the need of boldness. He said, pray for me. Don't just pray for one another. Verse, verse 18 says, pray for one another. But verse 18 says, also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The truth is this, human nature is really strong. We see it played out in our lives, in, in, in our individual lives, in our world around us. Jesus told the, the apostles the very same thing. He said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Human nature has a grip, has, has a pull in our life, the flesh. So it's important even for us, those of us who are the children of God, to pray, I believe, for the filling of the spirit. But we need to be praying that God would fill us, as he fills us with the spirit, with boldness to proclaim the gospel. See, us sharing the gospel boldly, proclaiming the gospel, is a natural result of being filled with the Spirit. Again, boldness is produced. Remember the, the, the day of Pentecost? We already studied it a, a couple chapters back. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. And what did they do? They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, Verse 8 of, uh, of chapter 4 that we've already covered. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the rulers, we see a filling of the Spirit and then a boldness to proclaim. And we'll get to this in, in, in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says next. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. I want to be clear again, just because somebody boldly shares the gospel doesn't mean that they're full of the Spirit. Because you can, ha you can have boldness to proclaim the gospel in the flesh. I've done that before, I believe, unfortunately. I I've seen a lot of people do it. They, 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 they're outgoing people or they're, they're bold people. They intellectually know that it's the right thing to do and and so they go around and, and, and they have this boldness in the flesh. So while I think there is and there are those occasions where someone is being bold in their own and confident in their own strength and their, their abilities, I don't believe you can be filled with the Spirit and not have a measure of boldness to share the gospel. And so when we are, are filled with the Spirit, I, I believe, again, it's a natural result to have a boldness to share the gospel. You say, I I don't know that I have a boldness to share the gospel. Does that mean I'm not filled with the Spirit? I want to say this again. I believe that there's a measure of boldness that comes with the, the filling of the Spirit. There's no, there's, the, there's no questioning. It's clear in Scripture. When the Spirit of God fills a person, boldness to proclaim the gospel comes as a result. So I do believe there's a large majority of Christians, us, 
that go about our daily lives operating in the power of the flesh and not being filled with the Spirit. We see throughout the church's history, beginning in this first church, they're willing to go to prison. They're willing to go to even the cross to proclaim the gospel. As they are being filled with the Spirit, the evidence of their filling, one main evidence is that they have boldness to share the gospel that transformed their lives. Every time in my life where I feel like the Lord was, was filling me, and I'm not saying this in a prideful way, I feel like that there was a renewed sense, a, new, a renewed passion and boldness to share the gospel. Every time. As I was as I drawn near to the Lord and, and been in prayer and, and, and other things, and, I, and as I felt like His strength was, was evident and, and clear in my life, there's no question I've noticed an extra measure of boldness to share the gospel regardless of who it is or the circumstance. There's been those seasons and times in my life where I felt like I was just kind of going more in what I knew and in the power of the flesh, and there was opportunities before me. There's just not that awareness. There was not that boldness. I believe that the truth is this. The closer that you grow to Christ, the more in love you fall with him. And the more in love you fall with him, the more you want to talk about him and share him with others. And as you do that drawing, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. The spirit fills and enables and empowers you to share him with others with, with power. That's just, the, that's just what we see in scripture. Again, these leaders are kind of shell-shocked, if you will, and they're, 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 they're not understanding what's going on in this situation. They begin to realize, hey, these guys have been with Jesus. Something is really happening. Verse 14, back in our text, and seeing the man, it's obvious, who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I love that. There's, there was no denying. They couldn't say, well, this is not right. Something's wrong about this. Why, why couldn't they say that? They had walked by that same man every day. Everybody knew this was the man that had been lame for 40 years. They couldn't say anything negative against it. They couldn't say anything bad about it. They could say nothing against it. The proof was in the pudding. And I believe that's exactly how God still works today. Looking at things when it's God... We're either speechless or we're only able to th say things like, wow, praise God. That's amazing. When it's God, there's no doubt. When it's about God, there's, there's no fear. There's only completion and perfection. And this situation was all of that. These religious leaders had nothing. They couldn't argue against it. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't speak bad against it. It was a good thing that happened. They could do nothing because God had moved and not man. And point number two is this. There is no denying the work, or we could say the hand of God. There's no denying. Again, if your life has been transformed by the power of the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, you have been saved, there's no denying that. I, I've seen, and, and not only experienced it in, in my own life, but I've seen people's lives change radically by the gospel. There's no denying it. There's no denying the hand of God. 
from creation. Romans chapter 1 says that, verse 19, for what can, what can be known about God is plain to them. These people who don't want to have God in their knowledge because God has shown it to them. Even though they deny God, it's, cl- it's clear. Because the, his invigil- invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that people are without excuse. There's no denying the work of God from creation to a changed life, as we've talked about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's no denying the work of God. No, no denying the work of God, but let's, let's understand something. In our world today where there's a lot of things that Satan is at work doing in our world, there's a lot of frauds out there. There's a lot of counterfeits. Matter of fact, Satan counterfeits just about everything that God does and everything God is about. So you see what God is doing in the world, you can pretty much guarantee it that Satan is counterfeiting it in some way, some, some form or fashion. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. With our flesh being weak, with our emotions and our heart being deceitful above all things, as the scripture says, it's vital that we as the people of God do as the scripture does. So here, here's the thing. While there's no denying the hand of God, we know that Satan is a counterfeiter, that he can transform himself to an angel of light, that he loves to work and deceive. He's, come, he's the father of lies. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. All those things are true about Satan. And so when our flesh is weak, and we can admit that our flesh is weak, and we know that our emotions rise and they fall, we're excited one day, we're not, not, not happy one day, we're struggling, we're on the mountaintop, we're in the valley, that's the way our lives are, 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 go on a daily basis. When we know those things, what do we do then? How can we say that's absolutely the hand of God? That's 100% God at work. This is the direction I need to go. This is exactly what I need to do. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Try them to see whether they have God, because there's many false prophets that have gone out in the world. By this you'll know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, understanding what Jesus Christ means, understanding who Jesus Christ is, that means a whole lot. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah sent from God, the one who has come to save his people from their sins, to die on a cross, of course, be resurrected, knowing that he is God in the flesh. All those things are wrapped into Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. So any spirit that confesses Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh and has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. Again, this is 1 John. This is 2,000 years ago. He said the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. Little children, you're from God and you've overcome them. For he, he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We, believers, are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and error. Again, it's clear, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writers, specifically the apostles here, it's the Word of God is what is truth. And those who listen to the Word of God and follow the Word of God, speak the Word of God, is evident that they are the Spirit of truth. Here's the difficulty, is when there's twisting and manipulation, when the counterfeiting takes place like we see in our world today. How do you do it? Well, if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not rightly dividing the word of truth, 
If you're not allowing the word of God to be in you, as I said last Sunday night, there's going to be a difficult time discerning truth from error. The work was of God. The word was of God. The opposition couldn't do anything, couldn't say anything against it. And so let's see what they do in verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, okay, uh, the council, they had them in the middle of them. They were interrogating them. They couldn't deny what was going on. So now they don't know what to do. So they said, you guys get out of here. Look, go away. <laughs> they conferred among themselves saying, what are we going to do with these men? For indeed, truly, it's clear that, the, that a notable miracle has been done through them. And it's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. I love that. We cannot deny it. This is, this is the, the way the world still works today. We're in our, in our uh, adult connect group. We're going through Genesis and, 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 and looking at all the evidence uh, of creation and God and creation and stuff like that. And the, the, there's people who deny God still. They, they hold to a, a theory that has no weight at all. There's no weight in it. It's been disproven, not proven at all for a long, long time. There's no denying, as we read in Romans chapter 1 a while ago, the hand of God, even in creation. Yet we see what's happening still in our world today. We see that this is a reality. We can't even deny it. But we don't want to accept it. We don't want to accept it. So what's their plan? But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Wow. I'm so thankful we're not living in that world right now. At least for Americans. I don't know how much longer that will stay that way. I don't know how much longer on earth that we have. I don't know what, what it looks like for us. I, I don't know the future like that. But I do know right now we're not facing this. We're not facing severe threats. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are. We have brothers and sisters that are, that are not just experiencing severe threats, but are literally having their lives and families taken from them. Because they are speaking in the name of Jesus the good works and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't deal with that right now. So what are we doing with that freedom? What are we doing with the absence of these severe threats? These guys just saw God work in a miraculous way. The apostles did, and this council did too. No denying it. No, there's no question. Can't say anything against it, it said. And so their solution was to stop good things like this from happening. Isn't that amazing that we... Even though we don't face that kind of threat, that's still the, the spirit of Antichrist. That's still the spirit of, of the enemy in the world today. Well, this may be good for people. We're going to stop it. We don't want it to continue on. This is right. This is good. We want to stop it. A lot of pride there. You know, these religious leaders couldn't see past their own agenda. They couldn't see past their own preservation they couldn't see past their own false belief to see the truth and the power right before them it was all about them this threatened 
This man's changed life, Jesus Christ changing this man's life, changed their agenda. So they wanted it stopped. So what did they do? Like natural men, they tried to manipulate the circumstances. And before we get too quick to judge other people, there's times that we try to do the same thing. Manipulate circumstances to benefit benefit us. But these natural men were trying to go against a supernatural God with a supernatural and eternal plan. That's what's amazing. They didn't realize that at the time, but that's what they were trying to do. We're going to tell these guys, we're going to threaten them to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And we're going to work this, this situation out for our benefit. And they were trying to go against something that couldn't be stopped. Really bad idea. <laughs> But on the other side of this, again, is Satan. While we see these men as the instruments of Satan, we understand that really is who the battle is with. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We don't. These men were just instruments that he was using to try to stop God's plan. And that's still the spirit that works in the world today. The spirit of Antichrist. The enemy of God is still at work trying to battle against the people of God, the will of God, the plan of God, the gospel. That's what's happening still. I'm going to encourage you this morning, don't ever let a man, don't ever let men, don't ever let anything distract or discourage or scare you from doing what God has left you here on this earth to do. There's nothing in this world that should keep us from doing what God has left us here to do. If, if, if we're still here, as I said recently, if you're not gone, God's not done. We're still here for God's purpose, for his pleasure. And it's for this. It's to share the gospel with boldness, being filled with the Spirit. We don't need to let anything or anyone or any circumstance change that call. Again, I think we're living in the middle of, of a similar reality right now. Not just because we had an election, because the way the world is right now. Because even the way that our nation is right now. See, Satan will play that card all day long as long as it works. What card? I'll scare them into silence. Right? That, that's... What a lot of people are facing in sharing the gospel. Well, if I do, if I share this, I might lose this, or I might, this might happen to me, or this might happen to me. Or what if this happens in our nation and, and it becomes this? And Satan will use this card and pull this card every time as long as it works. I'll scare them so they'll be silent. They threatened them, don't do this anymore. So they called them in, commanded them, verse 18, not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. I'm going to try to hurry. And that was their solution. That was their judgment. Don't preach or teach in the name anymore. Why? Why don't they want them to do that in Jesus' name? Why? Because people's lives are being changed and being turned away from a religious system to Jesus Christ himself. Culture was being affected. Culture was being impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the boldness of the followers of Christ. Culture was being changed. Think about that. If it's Satan's plan to stop the redeemed of mankind to share the gospel that changed their life still today, then what are we doing? Are we giving in 
or we going forward. Think about this. That's what he's still doing. He, he wants us to go silent so the power stops. Maybe he whispers it in our ears. Don't witness, don't witness to them right now. It's not the right time. What does Satan fear if we do? What does he care? If just little old me, little old you, no, nobody's in this world. If we share the gospel with people, what, is, what does Satan care about that? Why would he want us to be so preoccupied with our own life, our own world? Why would he want us to, to, to be silent with the gospel if we're nobody? It's the same reason why these guys were threatening these nobodies. People's lives might be changed. And when people's lives change, culture changes. The world gets up, turned upside down for the Lord. More people added to God's kingdom, taken from Satan. So we listen. Don't witness. And they aren't. Think about that. How, how many people's lives might continue in the direction of spiritual destruction in our silence. Number three is the mon there are monumental consequences to our silence, both temporally, temporally and eternally. I'm going to close on, on that point this morning. But please listen to me as I close. It does beg the question, if we would even be battling in our nation, For issues like protecting unborn lives. Or if we would be battling issues in our nation. If there was a debate over God's design of one man and one woman. What if it's not silence? What if it's apathy? Or what if it's not threats to silence? We're afraid what is just, again, our apathy condoning the culture the way it is? We could say Peter and John had a good run. They'd seen a lot of cool things. They'd seen the power of God demonstrated in, in, in more ways than a lot of people. And they could listen to the world here. They could listen to the threats here. They could go about their lives, just go back fishing, say, man, we've seen God work in amazing ways. Thousands of people saved. I mean, we, we've led so many people to the Lord. It's, we, we can tell you story after story after story after story. And maybe we're sitting here this morning and say, I, I can't do that. I, can't, I couldn't tell the, the thousands of lives being changed. They could have gone back. They could have lived their lives for them. But we might wonder... the 5,000 the last of the harvest they would see? So the question this morning is how do we respond in the culture and to the command that God has given to us? There are monumental consequences to our silence, both temporally and eternally. Man, I, I, don't, I don't want to stay silent. I believe with all of my heart that our world is the way it is. Our nation is the way it is. Because the church has gone silent too many times. 
We, we've, again, whether we've cowered in fear, whether we have been consumed with our, our own lives and what's comfortable and Maybe, maybe we haven't pressed into the Lord every day seeking to be filled with the Spirit and therefore being filled with boldness to play, proclaim the gospel. Maybe we've just got wrapped up in the busyness of living life. And in that busyness, we've been silent with the gospel. If that's my life, if that's your life, we cannot complain about the world we live in. We can't gripe and complain about the culture. If it's obvious in Scripture what changes culture, what changes lives is the power of the gospel, and we're the ones left here to share it, and we're not sharing it, then we need to stop complaining. Let's seek the intimacy with the Lord. Let's seek to be filled with the Spirit so that we can have boldness to share. And then when we've done all to, to, to lay it out there and, and to proclaim the gospel, and let's stand back and see the Lord do what only God can do. Until then, I think we just need to evaluate where, where we are as a people. Let's not be silent anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this challenge to me, this challenge to us. Lord, there's no question that you change lives and you change cultures. Lord, you tell us in your word that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And Lord, I, I feel as, as if your people, us, the, the church, not just Trinity Baptist Temple, but all the believers across this nation, maybe we've become drunk, intoxicated with the culture of comfort, with the culture of busyness. Maybe we've been guilty of exalting idols in our own life, and we just kind of left the gospel to the side. And now we find frustration and wonder why our world looks the way it does, why our nation looks the way it does, why there's so much division, and why there's so much hurt, and we wonder where the power is, and it's still there, Lord. We know that you still change lives, and you still change cultures. It's us. We've, we've left it on the table. Lord, I, I do pray that you'd forgive us, that you'll help us to respond rightly to this. Lord, it's clear. Lord, we, we've got to share with that same boldness the gospel that changes lives. We want, we want the world to see without being able to say anything against it, without denying the power that you have to save people. Lord, help us move forward in obedience. I praise you for what you do. I ask you to bless now as we respond in Jesus' name.